Hello, I'm Terry Stiasny and welcome to this Head Talks podcast. I'm Jo Marchant, I'm a science journalist and my book is called Cure, A Journey into the Science of Mind Over Body. Why did you want to explore this area of the influence of mind over body that is often considered by many scientists and people in that world to just be mumbo jumbo? Yeah, there's several reasons. That is one of them, actually, that I was intrigued by the fact that people tend to have such extreme opinions on this. You've got a lot of scientists who are very sceptical. They think that any idea of healing thoughts is deluded, dangerous quackery. Um, And on the other hand, you have all these claims being made um, by alternative therapists often um, about the incredible power of the mind over the body. You know, there's all those books out there that you can buy suggesting that you could cure pretty much anything by just thinking positively enough and I was intrigued by why it's so difficult to have a sort of a sensible rational conversation about what the mind is doing people always seem to be drawn to those two different extremes so I really wanted to look at what does the science actually say because we all know from experience that our thoughts affect our physiology if you just step out into the road and you're nearly hit by a car you feel your heart suddenly beating faster so we know that that happens but I don't think it makes sense then to jump to saying well that's going to be a miracle cure and can heal everything so what are the pathways how does the mind affect the body and what can it do what can it not do how can we make use of that what are the kinds of things that we already know about how the mind affects the body I think it's pretty well accepted that particularly in terms of the stress response fight or flight that if we feel anxious or afraid or stressed that's causing a a whole range of physiological responses, changes across the body, and that in the long term that can be damaging to health. That wasn't accepted for a long time. It's only really in the last sort of 10, 20 years probably that that's been accepted. But we, that's not particularly controversial now. Um, I was interested in the reverse, though. Can we use our minds and our thoughts to make us better? And although some scientists are very sceptical about that, and I think it's partly in response to the exaggerated claims that get made, um, I found that actually there is a lot of research going on now that's showing that there are lots of different mechanisms by which we can both improve the symptoms that we're experiencing, things like pain, nausea and fatigue, and actually influence the physical progression of disease. One of the things that you found that's most interesting is the variety of placebo effects that there are by partly, not completely, just giving somebody a sugar pill. You can make them feel better. What did you find out about how that works? Yeah, I think the placebo effect is really interesting. So this is a well-known phenomenon where if you receive medical treatment, often you feel better, even if it turns out that that treatment was fake, there was nothing in it. And it's a really good example of what happens in medicine when you take the drug away and all you're left with is the belief, if you like. And often placebo effects are thought of as little more than an illusion really maybe someone just thinks they feel better after getting treated but actually nothing's changed or maybe they would have got better anyway but there's a lot of research now showing that there's something else uh, uh, going on that there are biological measurable changes in the brain that happen when people take placebos that are actually very similar to the changes that are caused by drugs that was what was really surprising to me and also there isn't just one placebo mechanism there are lots of different ways in which placebos can work depending on what you think is going to happen so if you take a placebo painkiller for example that triggers the release of natural painkillers called endorphins in the brain and these work through exactly the same biochemical pathway as painkillers like morphine for example so if you take a placebo painkiller and you feel that your pain is reduced you didn't imagine that that's actually working through the same pathway as morphine in Parkinson's disease people suffer from problems with movement because of a lack of the neurotransmitter dopamine in the brain and when Parkinson's patients take placebos neuroscientists have been able to measure a release of dopamine in their brains just as when they take their real drug another example is altitude sickness where people perform better sort of their physical performance altitude is better and they suffer from fewer symptoms of altitude sickness 
if they get fake or placebo oxygen. And again, there's a biological mechanism behind that. So in all of these different cases, people's beliefs are causing very similar biological changes to the changes that we see with drugs. And you also found that there are some amazing cases where actually conditioning people to expect certain things using all of their senses, sight and, and smell and so on, can again have an effect on the kind of medical treatment that they're having and how it works. Yeah, I thought this was really fascinating, actually. So most people have probably heard of uh, classical conditioning, where we can learn to associate a psychological cue with a physiological response. So this is the, the classic is uh, Pavlov's dogs, where um, the dogs would be fed their food at the same time as hearing a bell ring, and then they will salivate just through hearing the bell because they've learned to associate the bell with getting food. And that works on humans as well through a whole range of different physiological responses. And what surprised me the most is that it actually works on the immune system as well. So you can train the immune system to respond to psychological cues like taste and smell. And there's some really interesting research going on in Germany looking at whether you can use this to reduce drug doses in a range of conditions, things like autoimmune diseases, allergies, organ transplants, even cancer where some drugs work by modulating the immune system. So the idea is that if you can train someone, if they take, say, an immunosuppressant drug, some of the work is in kidney transplant patients, for example, you have to take these drugs every day to, so they don't reject the organs. If they take that drug with, the specific thing that's used in this research is a green drink. It's made of strawberry milk, lavender oil, and green food coloring. So it's bright green, tastes purple because of the lavender, very distinctive. You drink that drink with the drug a few times, and then the drink on its own will suppress your immune system in just the same way. So that has been shown in healthy volunteers, in patients with dust mite allergy, and now the work's going on in kidney transplant patients. And then if they could get that immunosuppressant with the drink rather than with the drug, then that would reduce all the side effects that they get. Also, these drugs are directly toxic to the kidney. A lot of patients lose their kidneys because of the toxicity of the drug, so it would help to prolong the life of their kidneys as well. And I think that's a really interesting approach to treatment, and it makes the point that I make again and again in the book, which is that it's not all or nothing. It's not that we should ditch all physical drugs and just rely on our minds, but we can use those two approaches together in an intelligent way. Sometimes it's not only what you give people, whether it's a placebo pill or a real medicine, it's actually the way in which it's given to people. Yeah, I think the real message from placebo research is that this isn't about fake pills, this is about the importance of our mental state generally in determining how ill or well we feel, the symptoms that we experience. Symptoms like pain, nausea, fatigue have evolved as warning signs, essentially. You know, they're there to warn us that there's damage to the body, that we're in danger, that we should take action to remove ourselves from that danger. And if you are feeling anxious, alone, stressed, afraid, particularly worried about a certain condition or symptom, that will trigger biological changes in the brain that amplify that symptom. If you're feeling safe, cared for, you've received what you believe to be effective medical treatment, that's a signal to the brain that the crisis is over. It triggers biological changes that will bring that symptom back down. And so that feeds through then into all aspects of our lives and, and medicine, really. There's a lot of research showing that regardless of what treatment is actually prescribed, the way in which it's delivered, the attitude of the practitioner, whether they're cold or whether they're warm and empathic, the length of the consultation, how personalised the treatment is, all of these things can have quite dramatic effects on patient symptoms, regardless of the treatment that they're actually receiving. So it's what we'd commonly call bedside manner, I suppose, is partly involved. And also, it strikes me that when you've got a small child and you put a plaster on their knee, it can make them feel better, regardless of the plaster actually doing anything to them. 
Yeah, I think all parents know that a hug or a plaster or a kiss um, makes a huge difference. They're in all of this pain and suddenly they stop crying. And those things that we're doing are actually triggering biological changes. And so now with my kids, I try and make the most of that. If they want a plaster, I'll say, sure, have a plaster. Or if I'm putting cream on eczema, for example, I'll make a big deal out of putting that cream on, telling them exactly what that cream is going to do to help to try and harness these processes. And I think in, in medicine as well, we're kind of missing a trick in not making the most of that. I think doctors used to know that bedside manner was important, but now our medicine is based so much on evidence from clinical trials, which I think is a really good thing that it is, but most clinical trials are carried out by drug companies, and so they don't really have the incentive to look at these kinds of factors and how they affect care. They're just looking at the effects of drugs, and the design of their trials is specifically done to, to isolate purely the effect of the drug and look at nothing else, which is fine, but then it ends up that our medical system is based only on drugs, and we kind of don't have the evidence base to, to look at anything else. We sideline or deprioritize things like appointment times and nursing care and the attitude of, of practitioners, the words they, they use, for example. And I think we need a lot more research looking at those kinds of factors. And you also found that taking your mind off pain, even in very severe cases, can also have an effect as well. Yeah, and I think we all know that if you distract yourself, that's going to help with pain. But there's some research that's being done at the University of Washington in Seattle looking at burns patients. So these are people with serious burns, and they have to have wound care sessions where dead tissue scrubbed out of their wounds, physiotherapy to stretch and tear the scar tissue as it forms so they still have range of motion. And this is these sessions are seen as some of the worst pain in medicine. A lot of patients say that it's worse than being burned in the first place. And the research is looking at the effectiveness of virtual reality, so immersive virtual reality games that they can play during these wound care sessions. Um, and the trials that they've done, including on veterans of um, Iraq and Afghanistan who've been burned there in explosions, shows that being in this virtual reality reduces pain by up to 40% in addition to the pain relief they're getting from the highest safe doses of drugs. So that's just showing the sort of the power of a psychological approach to reduce pain, not just for a kind of minor headache, but for some of the worst pain in medicine. You tried this out for yourself, what was it like? I did, yeah. It was good fun, yeah. So one of the worlds they're looking at is called Snow World. So you're immersed in a virtual ice canyon and you're floating along. They're playing um, Paul Simon, You Can Call Me Al. He actually donated his music to the course because he thought it was such good research. So you're floating along and you've got, you can spin around, look up and down. There are mammoths, penguins, snowmen. They're throwing snowballs at you. You can throw snowballs back at them. It's really fun. And while I was doing it, they'd strapped a box to my foot with water inside that heats up to kind of simulate this burning pain which when they did it before I was in the virtual reality was really quite painful but when I was in the game it just it wasn't relevant to my current situation so I think my brain just kind of discarded it um, I was much more interested in playing my game and so I think that's partly how it works you know th there's this illusion that you're physically present in this distant safe place and so the brain just literally downgrades that pain. 
Why does the mind need to be tricked, whether it's with a placebo pill or a game distraction? Why can't we just think this for ourselves and think ourselves better? That's a really good question. A lot of the research is showing that it's not necessarily our conscious thoughts and beliefs that are having an effect. It does seem to be kind of at a deeper level than that. For example, there's a lot of research now showing that you can take honest placebos. So you take a placebo and you know that there's nothing in it. But it still works. Trials in things like chronic pain, migraine, irritable bowel syndrome, depression, fatigue. And it seems like regardless of what you consciously know, there's something about just receiving treatment that's signaling to the brain at some level that you're being cared for. So it's that sort of unconscious assessment of the threat that you're in that seems to be more relevant. The same with the conditioning learning processes that I talked about. It doesn't matter what you consciously know about that green drink. That learning process happens unconsciously. It's still going through your brain like you have to be aware of having the green drink but it's not so much a rational thoughts it's a sort of these are processes that are happening at a sort of deeper level which I think is why they're quite hard to get at. Are there any lessons that you've taken away for yourself in how you manage life or deal with pain or deal with feeling unwell? The main thing for me I think has been that when I experience symptoms I still listen to those symptoms, but I know that I don't need to be controlled by them. I'm less afraid of them in a way. I feel more aware that my mental state, if I'm feeling sort of tired or stressed or anxious, can play a role in amplifying those symptoms. And so if, if I'm feeling pain, it's not necessarily a direct marker of the damage to the body. I don't need to start panicking that I can do things to change my mental state and that will bring the symptoms down. So that's not saying that your mental state is everything. Your physical state of your body is really important, but I know how much of an effect that can have and I've actually found that quite empowering. What broader lessons can we draw from your work as a society in terms of how we treat people? The main thing I think is a lot of people seem to think of the power of the mind over the body as somehow sort of magical, mysterious, not scientific. I think both the sort of believers and the skeptics kind of have that view of it. And I would really say that that's not true. The influence of the mind over the body is just biology. We've evolved so that our mental state informs our physiology. It's a way really of helping the body to stay one step ahead of challenges that we're about to face in the environment. And that works through neurotransmitters and through nerves and we can study those pathways and, and find ways to harness them and that means that the mind's not a miracle cure there are lots of limits to what it can do but on the other hand there are real biological measurable effects that we can study and, and I think if we could take that more seriously and especially have more research into those then that could really help to transform medicine for the better. Jim Washington, thank you very much.